Hello, everyone. Welcome back to uh, Troy Noons as an absolute podcast. Uh, with me again this week, uh, this is Dan Lyons again. John is off. Uh, with me again is Christian DeDuzman. Uh Christian, thank you for being here again two weeks in a row. Yeah, thank you for having me on again. And uh, of course, we all are wishing John well after one week with a his newborn child, his second child. So again, best wishes go out to John and his family. Yeah, it sounds like everything's going pretty well out there in California. Uh, so John should be back with us soon. But uh, obviously, you know, see, things are going pretty pretty smoothly with the site. We haven't crashed and burned it yet. Um, give it a couple more weeks. Um, yeah, but uh, the, the good thing for John is that he gets another noon kickoff or noonish kickoff to uh, wake up to to watch the game in terms of his time. So that means it's a nine thirty kickoff for him, <laughs> which is. <laughs> which I, I don't think Syracuse fans would want to get used to. Uh, but yeah, five nooners in a row. It sounds great. Honestly, I mean, we know the Notre Dame game is now a 2.30 kick. I wouldn't be surprised if it was all noon, nooners till then. Like, I, it just I doesn't would, even seem like they're trying would, to balance it. I would wholeheartedly agree with you. Even the Clemson game, I think, is going to be a nooner, which is just going to be devastating. It's just, like, usually they try to, like, throw you some bones or whatever if you're, like, one of the, you know, the non- Clemson, non like elite programs. This year, everything's just so weird. They're like, "All right, Syracuse, new and ACC network, baby," <laughs> or or even not, not even ACC, not even not even ACC network. They're not Syracuse isn't worth ACC network anymore. That's going to be after the Liberty game. That's going to be three straight games on regional sports networks, yes. not just the ACC network. Even worse because like there's you know we had the Yankee game run in uh, issue a couple uh, for the was it the last game and then yeah the like, Georgia Tech game. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the what the Yankee playoff schedule looks like. I think it's kind of too hard to to look forward at that. But um, you know, there there's a there's no guarantee that like we won't have another issue. So really, kind of catching the uh, the back burner here, unfortunately, uh, with the football season. But it's I guess it's like one of those things where you're just happy to have one at all. Um, so hopefully, everyone's well. No, yeah. If there's one positive to take away from that is that uh, the MLB, MLB usually likes to uh, schedule the Yankees for primetime baseball. Yeah. But because Syracuse has all the nooners, no pregame or postgame show should interfere with a Syracuse game. But you never know. <laughs> okay, it looks like we're actually scheduled for 7 p.m. at Louisville on November 20th. So we have but that's at- on a Friday. That's oh, not right. a Saturday uh, game. That's the, Friday, that's the Friday game for Louisville. Good call. I, mean, I totally forgot about that. Um, yeah. yeah, so we have one non-afternoon uh game notre dame's at 2 30 which is better i always like the as a student i always like the 3 30 kick the most because you got like the nice balance of like you didn't have to wake up super early uh you had some time to like tailgate or whatever and then you saw time to like rest up and go out afterwards obviously yeah. students don't have the same issues this year they're dealing with a you know a myriad other issues as uh, was announced today uh hopefully everyone on campus is staying safe and uh being smart um but yeah so expect to a lot of early kicks uh which um, not the best, but I, again, it's like with this year, you just kind of take it if you can. Um, and so yeah, 1230 for the Duke game. Uh, we'll talk more Duke uh, in the second half tonight. Um, yeah, it's been, a kind of a weird week, like, uh, obviously with the bye week and then also just the lack of access and whatnot, it, it's kind of a, there isn't a ton going on. We did a couple bits of news. Um, I know you were, uh, well up, bit up on the, uh, both the injury updates from Babers, which were. Uh, I guess updates in quotes. Um, he said some things uh, news-wise. I don't know that was the most uh, fulfilling. Uh, and then we also got a an updated depth chart, which um, I guess kind of just confirms what we saw in that last game against Georgia Tech. 
Um, we start with the depth chart. What were, what were your big takeaways? I, I, I assume it's, it's mostly with the running back uh, and the uh, defensive back positions. Yeah, so we know, obviously, that um, it's clear that Tucker has, at the very least, jumped uh, McKenzie Pierre in the um, at running back. So Tucker is now the de facto RB2. And for all intents and purposes, you're most likely going to see him at RB1 uh, when the Duke game rolls around on Saturday. Um, it was interesting to see um, one thing that kind of uh, popped out to me, see uh, Cam Jonas um, at the boundary safety role and at the rover position. So it seems like that the the defense is still in that kind of same mindset they were with was when they had Cisco, Coley, and Williams all healthy, is that they have the flexibility to rotate uh, players in the safety positions around the uh, around those positions in order to throw different looks at, at quarterbacks. And so you weren't necessarily – while we did see a, a little bit of Cam Jonas here and there, he wasn't necessarily tied to a position um, that that you could easily define. So that's interesting as well, saying that there's still some flexibility around the safety positions. And then the usual stuff, you know, Carter is in for Coley, who is still uh, dealing with an owie, as Beavers likes to call it. And Hannah was in for Cisco, which we knew. Uh, and it's interesting, interesting also to see Hannah be listed underneath the um, the rover position for the backup, uh, probably suggesting that Trill will uh, might play a bit more safety uh, than rover, even though obviously uh, Trill has a ton of experience in that rover slash nickelback position. So there's a lot of interesting things to see on the defensive side of the ball, considering what we saw in the Georgia Tech game. Yeah, it definitely just kind of confirms like the things we saw with guys like Carter, like Hannah playing big roles in that game. Um, and it also, also I think, like you brought up, speaks to the defensive back versatility that we've seen. Um, and we knew that going back to the the like kind of a bridged off season, you had guys cross training uh, between Cisco and Trill Williams. Um, so to be able to do the, have the young guys play similar like uh, different roles and be able to plug into different spots, I think is is a good thing. And uh, I mean that worked really well. Um, a lot of the Georgia Tech players after the game talked about how kind of confused and and how many different looks they were had thrown at them. Um, so I think that's one of the things that can give us a, a big advantage moving forward. And then with the running back position, like I'm, you know, these depth charts they only mean about as much as the paper they're printed on. Um, so, but it's nice to like see that Jawar Jordan isn't just totally being cast aside. I think we we both talked about last week, and and John and I talked about uh, you know, heading into the season, like he's one of the more dynamic weapons on the offense. It's just a matter of finding a way to best use him. Um, running between the tackles is not how to best use him, but now we kind of have our guy there. So um, I kind of think like the Jordan Tucker thing is kind of like a one, one a or one, a one B situation where they're such different players and have such different still sets that it's, it's going to be very situational. Yeah, definitely. And I remember um, for everyone who's listening and is probably confused about why did Jeff Tart looks the way it does, Especially when you look at the depth chart, Andre Cisco is still listed. Eric Coley is still listed on the depth chart. Um, the depth chart that Syracuse has uh, always put out ever since Babers has been at Syracuse is a reflection of the depth chart and how it looked heading into the uh, Georgia Tech game. Uh, so the depth chart is always a look at what it looked like in the previous game. It's not necessarily how the depth chart is going to look um, heading into the Duke game. So for all we know, Tucker is the de facto RB1 and Jordan is the de facto RB2. We don't know that for sure. Um, but 
we know that Jordan is such a dynamic talent, like you said, that, and we mentioned it a lot um, in the beginning of the year um, and in the offseason as well. It'd be foolish for Syracuse to not find a way to get the ball in his hands in some way, whether that's um, still at running back, whether it's the H-back or Phillips type role that we've talked about a couple of times on the site as well. Uh, that remains to be seen. But um, it, it'd be foolish to let a guy with that type of talent not get touches on the ball, kind of like what, with what I wrote about um, on the site on Friday about the tight ends, which I'm still kind of mind blown that after deeping, diving deep into that topic, how how much of a lack of use they've gotten um, this year, given the pedigree they've developed last year. Yeah, we talked about that at length last week, so not to like totally re-harp on it, but uh, Sterling, yeah. get, the, get the tight ends out there. Let's go. Like We got our win. Let's build on it. Uh, the tight ends are great. Let's 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 see it happen. Um, uh, you brought up the injuries. Um, I think uh, it, it's tough because like Babers is really good at giving you more uh, than like the average coach coach speak thing, but also still basically not telling you anything. Like he makes you feel good about not telling you anything. Um, did what? What were your takeaways from from what he had to say about Cisco and Coley and uh, Dakota Davis this week? Um, um, he, uh, like you said, he's still going to be very tight lipped, even though he seems to be a bit more transparent than some other coaches. He's not going to be the full transparency like the NFL requires when you're releasing injury reports every single day during practice. So you're not going to expect that from Babers because he always says that he's never going to discuss whether a player is available or not for an upcoming game because he would feel like it gives his opponents a strategic advantage, which is, uh, correct in many ways. You never want to um, give your opponents a leg up when they're trying to, when they're preparing for you. So they have to be ready for all possibilities that you might throw at them. So for all Duke knows, Cisco could be available and ready to go against them, which would completely change how they would have to play um, and how they would have to prepare as well. Um, but from what I gathered um, when he was talking in his, in his press conferences, he seems very confident that um, at the very least that, He'll get all three back at some point this year. Cisco, not to a great extent, though, in terms of that confidence. He seemed, uh, just by the tone of his voice, I'm not saying anything with 100% certainty. In fact, it's probably less than 50% certainty. But it seemed like he felt really good about Eric Coley and Dakota Davis coming back sooner rather than later. Whether with Cisco, all he said was, He's smiling and he's ready to go. Um, but it didn't sound like he was, he didn't give a confident statement like with Coley and Davis saying like, we're getting, we're hopefully getting them back soon. Some, something along those lines. Um, if anyone saw Mike McAllister's uh, report for Sports Illustrated Syracuse um, earlier last week, there are rumors, um, unconfirmed rumors, um, obviously, that Cisco could be out for the entire year, which is, which would be incredibly devastating for Syracuse defense that has been so good for the entire year so far. I know it's only been three games, but it would be incredibly devastating to see the best Syracuse defensive player, without a question of a doubt, go down for the rest of the season. Um, and I think Babers um, also kind of... <laughs> saw that shock as well um, in his in his press conference when he said in he's never seen 
an injury like what happened to Cisco in 39 years. I did the quick myth, math on that. That would take him back to his playing days when he was still playing with the University of Hawaii. So when he, when you hear a statement like that, that doesn't fill me with the utmost confidence on his status for the rest of the year either. And that could be completely devastating to how Syracuse prepares for some of the tougher teams in the conference. Yeah, it, it's really brutal, especially considering the nature in which it happened, where um, I, we don't, I don't think we've even seen video of it. I don't, I don't know if you have, but uh, it just sounds like a total freak pregame thing where he and Ed, uh, Ed Hendricks collided. And like those pregame drills are just like, at most, there's like a little bit of thud, like thudding, a little bit of wrapping up. There's like, nothing's full speed. Nothing's like super physical. So for it to happen, it definitely sounds like a freak thing. Obviously we don't know exactly what the injury is. Um, so we'll see. I mean, I think there's like a, there's like a super hot take you could have in here. where like, based on how the defense played against Georgia tech, like maybe you argue that like, Oh, if we get a full Dakota Davis back, that would actually be bigger considering our offensive issues. But also that's just judging it based on like one game of uh, our young defensive backs playing really well in for Cisco. Um, against a rookie quarterback. So, uh, you know, it's probably a little bit early to, like, make any rash judgments or any, like, Ewing theory proclamations here. Um, obviously, we all want Cisco back. But, you know, hopefully he's fully healthy and, and does the right thing for him. It wouldn't shock me if we had, like, a like a, a Nick Bosa situation where he's hurt and, like, maybe he can come back to the end of the year, but it's it might not be worth it for him uh, if it's, like, a, a rush back thing to play in, like, some – you know, our, our, our five and six pinstripe bowl berth or whatever. Um, so we'll see. Uh, hopefully, you know, we all like to see him play for Syracuse again, but uh, it's it's all very up in the air. It's tough to blame anyone for making any tough choices considering everything that's going on this year. Um, so, yeah, hopefully the other two guys will get back soon because I think they'll both go a long way in helping. Um, so, yeah, now another discussion we had on the website, and I know you weighed in on the written version of this i did not um but i thought it was really interesting uh kind of uh just debate to have especially for a school like syracuse um we put up a round table uh borrowing from uh forget where oh stephen godfrey uh over at banner society um basically wrote about schools kind of like syracuse kansas state you know in that same level of like not powerhouse but still can rise up and have a nice season here and there and he basically asked um would you rather have, like, a, for Kansas State, it was uh, beating Oklahoma every year, nine out of ten years, or whatever, for us to be like Clemson um, currently. Would you rather have that, like, almost every year we have that incredible moment, or, um, but, but if you take that, you don't have the chance to play for a conference title, versus you just kind of have the chips uh, fall where they may. Um, I know you, you can recap your, your take a little bit first. Um, I, I kind of feel pretty strongly about this, but, but I know you wrote about it, but just uh, give, me, give me your argument here. Yeah, so, again, like you said, the main just the deal is do you beat your rival nine times um, in the next 10 years for Syracuse? Your biggest, that would be your biggest conference, like, powerhouse for Syracuse. Imagine if Syracuse decided to just thwomp Clemson or just beat Clemson um, for nine of the next 10 years. But you would sacrifice the ability to win a conference title or play in the college football playoff. I said no to that deal. And the main reason for that is when you take a look at the 2016 and the 2017 Syracuse teams, when in 2016 they beat Virginia Tech, that was a 17th ranked Virginia Tech, and no one remembers that team for being that great. 
And then you look at 2017. Yeah, they beat Clemson, the number one team in the nation. No one remembers that team for being great either. To me, the deal that is presented there is more fan service than anything. It's not a way to build a program, which is what the mid-major programs uh, so desperately need to do. Um, and when I say mid-major programs, I mean the the middle-tier Power 5 conference uh, programs, like your Kansas States, like your, I guess, Syracuse's at this point, um, where they are not necessarily fighting for conference titles every year right now, but with a focused recruiting method and good coaching, you can eventually get to that level. And just be, and the deal also specifies that just because you defeat your biggest conference opponent every year, that doesn't necessarily guarantee that you'll beat uh, the majority of your opponents for the rest of the year. Look at that 2017 Syracuse team. They beat Clemson. That was their last one of the season, and they went 4-8. and eight. Like, that's not a recipe for success. Um, and even though it's a great memory for Syracuse fans, I mean, it was a great memory for me when I was on campus um, for that for that game. I wasn't actually in the dome for that game, um, but it was a great memory to celebrate with friends during that game. But still, no one remembers that team for being good. And the big thing is that no recruits are going to remember that team being good. So it's not a healthy way to build a team that desperately needs it. Um, when you're talking, looking at it from a Syracuse perspective, and that Syracuse needs to find more consistency, and it's not the occasionally great wins that um, can get you the building blocks that you need to build a potential powerhouse. Um, a one win against a top opponent every year doesn't guarantee that. So for Syracuse and for these other programs that are looking to fight for conference titles, it's building the recruiting blocks and building the coaching blocks necessary in order to get to that ability, not guaranteeing a win over a, a top opponent every year. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I'm right in the same place. Like I think those big one-off wins have their place and they're super exciting. I mean, I'll always remember watching the Clemson game um, I'll always remember being in the dome against like a really a ranked West Virginia team in 2011, my senior year, and uh, watching them like destroy that team, the Louisville game, um, uh, the year two years after, and then Steady Bridgewater. Like those are great memories, but I don't think I would trade any of them for the 2018 season. And that wasn't even a conference title; that was just like a really good season. So I think taking off, um, and that is, and obviously the thing doesn't preclude you from having a 10-win season, but it doesn't guarantee anything either. But just having the ability to like fight for a conference championship, I think, is still worth having on the table, even if it's not something that's going to happen even every ten or fifteen years. Because um, that's you know that's how you're going to get recruits. Like if you can make it, to, like what 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 worth is the building block win, like the Clemson win, if it doesn't start to like tumble into a 2018 season, and then hopefully something more. Like that's what you're hoping those wins project to. It's not just for like the one-off thrill of it. So yeah, we're definitely aligned. Um, kind of in the same place with that one. Uh, definitely an interesting conversation to have because especially coming off a season where we really didn't have that one great win last year. Um, and there obviously isn't one guaranteed this year. Like, you know, it's, it's, it's tempting to say like, well, at least we have this one really great memory uh, against this one awesome team. But um, yeah, it's just like, 
after a while, I also think it would kind of get to like be like empty calories. Where like if you're beating that team every year for some reason, and and you know you kind of put aside like everyone wondering why this is happening, um, I think eventually people would be like, all right, well, can we actually like go to the Orange Bowl, please, <laughs> instead of just winning yeah. all the time and it's just one team. So I think it would get like it would start to to have diminishing returns, I believe. Um, so yeah, I think most of us were in agreement, but I, I know there's definitely an argument on the other side there, uh, and definitely an interesting conversation to have. Yeah, um, and uh, and keep in mind, like you, like like you said, the Camping World Bowl year, the 2018 team. People remember that team for being a great team, and people always talk about. As I know we've talked about it a lot on on the site as well. Bowl wins are bowl appearances. Just even bowl appearances are a great way to get those building blocks rolling for recruits to get interested in your program. The one-off win is not necessarily the right way to do that, but people remember the bowl appearances people remember the bowl wins and that's what propels your program into something bigger that's that's a bigger momentum builder for me than an upset win yeah and i think that 2018 season like you can even build in an interesting hypothetical there like would you trade in the 10 wins the champion word bowl which is like a tier two bowl and probably the biggest one we've been to in in over a decade would you trade like two of those wins and go down to like the eight and five season we've had a few times recently and for like to go back to the pinstripe bowl or whatever, would you trade the Tampa world and the 10 wins for like a win over Clemson and Notre Dame that year? I don't know that I would like we we've beaten Clemson. Notre Dame would have been cool at, at uh, Yankee stadium, but like that was at that do... game. <laughs> oh yeah. That, I, I tried to do that game. The tickets were so expensive. Uh, it got ridiculous. Yeah. My, um, my friend but... and I got tickets that early because we made a quick detour on a story here. We got, yeah, go we made a, we made a uh, weekend out of it because, um, because we're, we were both in the New York area at that time, and Syracuse the day before was playing UConn in the Garden, so we yep. got tickets to see that, and we got tickets to see a Notre Dame game at Yankee Stadium. So happened that Syracuse lost both those games, so that <laughs> was a bummer, but <laughs> that's just a funny story about that, about the, about those games. Yeah, that was a weekend that could have been amazing, and like I saw a lot of fun that weekend because um, I took the, the day off. I usually worked for College Football Saturdays, uh, I took the day off. I was trying to go to the game. If I could find like last second tickets, they it didn't come. They were just so expensive because of Notre Dame being there. But uh, the night before, the Friday night of the UConn game, we hosted a live podcast at uh, at uh, East End Bar and Grill, uh, which is a big Syracuse bar on the Upper East Side in Manhattan. And like all the Dungey family was there, and like we met a bunch of people, so that was fun. Um, unfortunately, it would have been nice. It would have been nice to get a win that weekend, but yeah. um, <laughs> in anything, but it was fun still fact, fun. That was. Fun fact, that was Jalen Carey's only good game in a Syracuse uniform. That is true. Uh, unbelievable. He was great that day. <laughs> he was. Yeah. He looked awesome. That was like the one nice takeaway. You're like, well, at least Carey's going to be great for like four years now. No. Um, no. <laughs> oh, well. We, we move on. Um, yeah, so like I don't think I would have traded even that win. And then like, all right, well, we're 8-5 and five again at the pinstripe bowl playing Kansas State for the 18th time. Like, so, yeah, I think that, that kind of like proves like, yeah, you still at least want to have the chance to, to reach for like the highest – Places because like we're in the ACC. If you have like a, a a miracle season and like you beat Clemson and Florida State's still doing whatever they're doing right now, and uh, the Coastal gives you a weak opponent, like if Syracuse won eleven and one beat Clemson, they would probably go to the playoff. As crazy as that is to say, say. so um, it's definitely like on the table. It's just a matter of going to get it. Um, and like you know, a couple things break differently in twenty eighteen, and like, I don't think they were all that close to the playoffs, but like. It, it's stupid to punt the the opportunity for like one off wins. So, yeah, I, I definitely fall on that same side. Um, yeah, so I guess we'll take it to halftime here because, of course, we do not have a game to recap from last week. Uh, 
because we were on by. Um, before we go into that, uh, we are still uh, hanging out with Home Field Apparel for uh, the month of October. Um, if you, I mean, if you've been on the site or listening to the podcast for the last month, you are definitely familiar with Home Field. Uh, incredibly vent- comfortable vintage college collegiate apparel. They rolled out their Syracuse line uh, just over a month ago. Um, I'm still waiting. I've been like, like, uh, kind of siphoning them out. I haven't worn all of them yet. I've tried to, <laughs> to wait for good occasions because, like, you know, the, the shirts. I, I am sure will maintain their their uh, their comfort over time, but um, they're definitely most comfortable the first time you wear them. There's something special about like a brand new shirt, so I'm still getting through them. Um, but they're they're great. The designs are awesome. Um, so definitely go check out Home Fields, uh, Syracuse Apparel, and the other schools as well. Uh, there's straight stuff. They they rolled out a NCA and T uh, this past weekend, and there's a there's a marching band shirt uh, as as is as you need to have for an HBCU um, with this like big drum logo. It's awesome. Like I'm. You know, there's a decent chance I end up ordering one once I go on like a late night binge of ordering stuff or something. So head to head to home field, 10% off with the code NUNES, N-U-N-E-S. Um, and yeah, get some shirts if you haven't done them already, although we've been plugging them so hard, I have to imagine everyone's bought the entire line so far. <laughs> um, yeah, so halftime, uh, we usually re- talk, uh, talk beer, talk, talk drinks. Uh, I again didn't have too much, although the other day I did have... Uh, a zap from Grim Artisanal Ales in Brooklyn, uh, one of the best breweries in New York. Um, and then I've been working on some home brews that someone sent me uh, a little while ago that I kind of like was in the back of the fridge, so I'm working through those. Uh, yeah, what do you? Uh, how did your weekend go? What did you get into? Um, I didn't do much. Um, fun fact: I'm probably the only person on the site who doesn't drink, so I'm not the biggest uh, <laughs> guy who's going to get into the beer recommend. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be the guy who's going to. I'm not going to be the guy who's going to participate in John and uh, Steve's beer uh, uh, picks for the for the game day picks on Friday, um, but it was it was a it was a nice weekend weekend uh, I should say to just relax because I feel like um, watching these Syracuse games, especially uh, given some of the expectations that some of the fans might have had, uh, brought a lot of stress um, to these games because you didn't know exactly what you were going to get. So it was a nice weekend to just relax and enjoy some games casually, um, enjoying uh, the MLB playoffs the past couple of nights as well has been also a very nice pleasure to watch. So a lot of playoff baseball, a lot of football, a lot of uh, – a lot of watching my fantasy team, making sure that everyone's good and ready to go, and making sure that I plug in my lineup correctly. Um, but it, it's these bye, bye weeks are nice to just casually enjoy fan, uh, games as a fan, which sometimes you don't always get the pleasure to do. Yeah, I think there's some there's a nice like serenity that comes with a bye week, where like like you said, I obviously love when Syracuse plays, even like win or loss, I enjoy having the experience. Um, that being said, when things get really stressful, it really, uh, changes your mindset for the full day. I mean, if you win, you have you ride the high the whole day and it's great. But, uh, if you lose, like it's harder, it's harder to enjoy the late games. Unfortunately, I've, I think I've gotten better at compartmentalizing, especially cause I write about college football full time, but, um, it becomes more difficult, uh, uh, probably less so than it was when I was at school. Um, but yeah, it, it is nice to have just a full day where you're like, I don't need to worry about whatever Syracuse is doing today. I can just, you know, enjoy I, I didn't really enjoy Auburn Georgia. It wasn't a very good game, but like hypothetically, I could have enjoyed Auburn Georgia if it was good. Yeah. Um, had a full day uh, to to just like see what was out there. And college football presents so many opportunities. Like, there's always a good game on. Um, I haven't watched as much of the baseball because I'm such a beaten down Mets fan as John is, as everyone who listens to this on a regular basis knows. How have you been enjoying the expanded playoffs? Because I am very, 
I didn't mind it for this year. I just, I, I'm, I'm not a huge fan uh, of the idea of the expanded playoff full time. I'm not either. I think the, I think I, I liked it when it was the five teams. The five, I think the five team version is the is the best version we've seen, where you have that one wild card game to see who gets into the um, division series. I think that's the best. Um, idea. Unfortunately, I think it's still going to stick around because I think the commissioner really, really likes that idea and the players really like the idea as well of having more teams into the playoffs. But I think it's kind of unnecessary because there was something always special about those wild card games, um, those one-off wild card games to get into the division series. And you kind of lost that luster in the first round with um, where where you had eight teams playing from each um, each side of the ball. Um I'm a I'm a Yankee fan myself, so I was obviously very happy with the results, but I think it kind of dilutes the product a little bit, and um, and a uh, too much of a good thing saying applies here. I think I think it worked really well when you had the five teams per uh, per league. Yeah, it's just like, and obviously, I think I said a couple weeks ago, like as a Mets fan, I should be celebrating like the chance. Well, you know, I'm sure the Mets would have probably gone to double the playoffs they've gone to in my lifetime if this had always been the case. But it just doesn't feel the same. Because, like, when you made the playoffs in the four or five teams per league uh, structure, like, you really accomplished something. And over, like, the 162 games, like, the whole point is to really kind of limit down and drill down on, like, the best possible teams and get, like, the right teams in there, especially because the playoffs themselves inject so much randomness um, because you go from this, like, giant sample to, like, you know, relatively small samples. Um, so I, 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 I think you're right. I think they're probably going to do this full time. Um, I am not. A huge fan of it, but uh, I'll worry about it more, I guess, when my team is in contention. Um, which, you know, once every four or five years. <laughs> we, we, I guess we made it twice in a row in 2015-16, but uh, yeah, more. Well, I'll, I'll save the Mets talk for when John's back, since we have uh, a <laughs> lot to commiserate about with the ownership change and whatnot, which, good things, good things. Um, moving on to Duke. Um, we talked last week about the schedule really opening up for us. Uh, there may be no better example uh, than us getting the 0-4 Duke Blue Devils coming off of a bye week, uh, coming off of our first win. Um, Duke had probably their best performance of the season uh, this past Saturday. They lost to Virginia Tech uh, 38-31. And like, real, like, just looking at that on paper, like that doesn't seem that bad. Um, Virginia Tech was down, I think, 21 players and two coaches and some like big players. Um, and they yeah, lost they- to the Virginia Tech team who had Bratz and Burmeister throw, throw nine for 25 for 163 yards at the quarterback position. Um, dude's not very good. <laughs> yeah, um, we'll talk about their stat, stats a little bit more as we get deeper into the conversation. Um, we talked about it before we started the pro- podcast, but spoiler alert, some of their overall team stats are not good for the entire season. Um, but uh, going back to the Virginia Tech game, um, I don't. I don't remember if I'm recalling this correctly. So apologies if this is incorrect information. But I believe Virginia Tech didn't have their entire starting secondary available to them um, for that game, and they still lost. And this is a Duke team that is supposed to be somewhat okay passing the ball, especially when you have a guy who has been in Clemson the past couple of years and is now transferred over to take over a starting role in Chase Bryce. Um, so. To not win that game, especially when you didn't have a team that didn't have a full starting unit out, is kind of worrying some for the Duke Blue Devils. Yeah, Chase Bryce, um, 
I guess had like nominally his best game against Virginia Tech. Uh, he threw for <laughs> 271. Um, he had just a shade under his best yards per attempt. Um, one touchdown, one interception. He's been pretty rough overall. Like he's only completing uh, just over 52% of his passes, which uh, is not what you would expect from him. Like obviously we, we saw him up, up close when we knocked Trevor Lawrence out of that game a couple years ago. But he looked pretty good. I expected him to be more like a – you know, kind of a sure thing, like, you know, he's going to toss for 65%. He's not going to be, like, a huge big play guy, but, like, he'll move the chains. Um, his completion percentage is very low. Uh, he's thrown for 993 yards over four games, which is, you know, no great shakes. He's three touchdowns, seven interceptions. Um, just really, like, he'll put up some yards, but uh, not super efficient, uh, not playing very well. Um, takes a bunch of sacks, uh, which we can relate to. He had seven, gave up, he was sacked seven times in Virginia Tech, Ford and uh, UVA. Um, just like not the guy, I, I expected him to put up pretty decent numbers, even if Duke wasn't great. Um, they're also, the rushing game's uh, an issue. They ran for 139 yards last week, but um, the, the stats really, uh, I know the stupid college stats, the stats against it. Um, they were relatively efficient, but they had to get away from it because Vautech kept on storing uh, and just ran all over them, six and a half yards per carry. Uh, Khalil Herbert at 208 yards on 20 carries for Vatek, which is just absurd. Um, yeah, it's just it just seems like a team that hasn't been able to figure like anything out, and this is a, a pretty tough time for it. But yeah, they're 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 only averaging just over 17 points a game. Um, they're only running for about three yards a carry. Uh, it's just there's nothing. There's not a lot going right here. Yeah, unfortunately, to harp on the offensive stats um, a little bit more, when you take a look at the interceptions thrown by the team as in, as a whole, Duke is tied with Florida State and Georgia Tech for the most interceptions thrown in the conference so far with eight each for those three teams. Obviously, you saw how much Syracuse picked off Jeff Sims um, when Syracuse took on Georgia Tech a couple weeks ago. And Chase Price has seven interceptions this season, which is not good. Um, so... Even with a depleted secondary, um, we um, Syracuse has proven against Georgia Tech that with the young guys, they can still go up and grab the ball out of the air. So it might not be a great day for Chase Bryce in terms of limiting turnovers. Yeah, uh, and even looking at some of the advanced stuff, I'm looking at uh, Bill Tonnelly's SP Plus, and I know he says not to you know take too much stock in it until we get farther into the season, especially because we don't have a lot of the comparative points that we usually do. Um, Duke's, uh, their defense actually writes okay with him. They're 40th in the country. Um, we're 69th, although I, you know, I, I'm not too worried about that. I think it'll move up as the defense needs to play well. Um, our offense is ranked 102nd, which actually feels about right, considering how bad they were the first two games. Duke's is 117th. So this is one of the uh, worst, if not the worst, Power 5 offense. Uh, I think Rutgers is ranked below them, but Rutgers hasn't played yet. Vandy's ranked below them. Um, I, I feel bad for Vandy. Uh, they don't have much of a break. So it's it's uh, it's about as bad as it gets in terms of these teams that have any kind of sample size. Um, so yeah, I, I think this is a game where Syracuse has some pretty stark advantages. Like the defense, um, while it might be the better of the Duke units, uh, it's still giving up a, a fair number of points. Um, opposing opponents are averaging just over 32 points a game. Um, it's, you know, they're running for four and a half yards. If we can get that rushing attack going, uh, the way it was in Georgia tech, like, and, and keep the, uh, down in distance, uh, ahead of schedule, which was such an issue in the first two games. And I think something came out today where we were like worst in the country and like first down success rate or something, uh, which feels right. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, can, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> we just are so bad on first down. Um, so if, if we can start to turn that around, 
Um, but yeah, opposing teams are averaging 5.9 yards of play. It's just like every, every number here is, you know, even if the defense looks good in some areas, like this, this, they're not really being reflected in the stats. So, um, yeah, I, I think, uh, I think Syracuse has some really distinct advantages here. Um, and I think if we want to like kind of chase that improved outlook that we talked about last week, um, getting a win here is pretty vital, especially, uh, as we have, you know, some of our tougher games in the middle of the schedule. Yeah, not to beat a dead horse here, but the, <laughs> it bears mentioning um, Duke in the AC, Duke in the ACC among the ACC teams has given up the most rushing yards out of the entire ACC um, with 774 rushing yards allowed. That's 150 more rushing yards than the guy, the team in second place, which is Florida State. So, if that's any indication of how badly duke has done in terms of stopping the rush um that's not good and they've given up the second most uh passing yards in the conference as well with uh just uh, under a thousand uh passing yards allowed um and that's just the raw numbers when you take a look at the pff grades um that duke has in terms of their defense they're the second lowest team um in terms of their overall defensive grade just above north carolina state they're the worst run defense team, and the and it's it's just not good for Duke um, in terms of their defense. Even though on their defensive side they have a couple of talented players, we can't ignore that. Um, their ad rushers are among the best in the country, and that's the one way the Duke defense can actually capitalize um, on Syracuse is if their guys get to Tommy DeVito, which is. A very real possibility, given how talented those guys are. Yeah, so Duke has 12 sacks on the season through four games, uh, doing pretty well. Victor Demuk- uh, um uh, apologies to him if uh, I, the pronunciation is going to be an issue. I need to uh, look up how to how to say that. Has four on the year, um, leading the team. But they have like a, a bunch of guys who do get after the quarterback, uh, three different guys with one and a half, um, and then 12 for the team. Um, uh, so that that's probably the one area that kind of jumps off the page. Um, they have five interceptions in four games, so that's pretty decent. Um, but and we know you know Devito's had a couple of interception issues this week or this year so far, but uh, hasn't been like a hugely interception prone guy outside of like the first half of last season. Um, so yeah, I mean if if the offensive line plays well, I think there's a lot of reasons to feel optimistic about this one. And I think that's. That's definitely going to be one of the keys to the game is how can the offensive line perform individually. We've talked a lot. We talked a lot about it last week is that there's always, there always seems to be one guy on the offensive line that has a bad game. Um, And you can't afford that against a team that is very good at rushing the passer, Um, especially given Syracuse's lack of ability to protect DeVillo over the past couple of years. So it's going to be, on Aaron's surface, it's going to be on Matthew Bergeron. We're looking at the tackle specifically to keep DeVito off the ground. Um, and Baber said in his press conference this week that that's going to be the challenge for the um, for Syracuse. Um, he mentioned that Duke was pretty good at man-to-man coverage, which gives the time for the edge rushers and the rushing attack of Duke to get to the quarterback and produce the sack numbers that we've seen um, this year. So in that case, you might see a lot more coverage sacks than um, more so sacks of guys just beating the tackles and the offensive line to get to DeVito. 
but nonetheless, it's still going to be a challenge and probably the one way that Syracuse loses this game. Yeah, so I mean, that that kind of puts in uh, a bit more onus on like the development that we're hoping to see from DeVito because um, obviously the offensive line is at issues, but we've also seen those coverage stats uh, where he gets flustered and tries to force something or or gets, you know, ends up getting run down way deep in the pocket because he just doesn't have anyone open. And a lot of that's on the receivers struggling to get uh, separation. But, you know, there was definite improvement against Georgia Tech two weeks ago. Um, I thought we saw our best game from our receiving core as a whole. And then, obviously, the Carter breakout uh, really opens things up. So hopefully we continue to see all of that. Uh, I, I think, honestly, like, I was more worried about the Georgia Tech game than I am about the Duke game. And, and a lot of that's just colored by having that first win. But um, it's hard to be super impressed with what Duke's done so far uh, at 0-4. Um, so, yeah, I, I feel pretty good about it overall. Um, I don't think we have too much more uh, to harp on with them. Um, I'm going to give my prediction uh, just off the cuff here. Um, I think Syracuse takes it. I'm going to go uh, I'm gonna go 28-10. I was, uh, I was on uh, very similar lines. I was thinking about this earlier as well. I'm going to throw out uh, – I was throwing out 31-10. Um, for my predictions earlier today in my head. Um, I'm not sure if you saw this, um, but coming into this weekend, Vegas actually had Duke as a one-point favorite, which blew my mind. I, I don't saw know how, how that half. happened. Yeah, I I've seen it gone, half, which like, yeah, I I've mean, seen I, it gone as I've seen it gone that high as well, which is, I just don't know how that even makes sense. Yeah, no, I, I had some friend ask me uh, about like betting on the game, and if I was over in New Jersey, I, I totally would. Um, yeah, I mean, I would take the Syracuse money line while you can still get it here. I think it was, I don't know if it got bet up from one, two and a half, or those were just uh, disparities between different books, but like, I, I don't know. I don't know what people have seen um, from both these teams. I mean, I know Syracuse, it's not like we're, we're trying to like gas them up too much, like off of one win against a, a rebuilding team, but. Coming up the last game, like we did win pretty handily against the Georgia Tech, uh, Georgia Tech team that people that the books had like what eight and a half point favorites on us uh, at home. Eight, which was, it was eight to it was eight to ten point favorites at some points, which felt too big at the time. Yeah. Um, you have Duke coming in now at zero and four, um, really struggling against like you know some decent, some not so decent opponents um, with major question marks. Like I, I just I don't get how you get that line, but. Um, I mean, it's it's good value if you can get it. I, you know, it looks like it's plus one fifteen on the money line. So if you uh, if you're ever going to bet Syracuse, I think it's it's probably to go take them in this game and and hoping to uh, hoping that we have another like instance of the the sports what's really lacking respect for the orange. Um, although last week I kind of doubt it more because they looked so bad the first two games. But you know, I still thought that was way too much considering what Georgia Tech is. Yeah, so definitely an opportunity there if you were uh, one of the uh, if you were so inclined and in one of the legal gambling states, um, which I am not. I'm in New York, so not, not, not here. And uh, I don't know that I'll be getting over to New Jersey before take off on Saturday. But if I was, I would definitely be taking the money line. Uh, and that is not uh, that is not open advice. That is just what I would do. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I don't. Uh, I don't endorse uh, that either. But if I. Um... If I was a betting man, which I am not, um, it's it's probably the safest uh, option to make, probably this season. Um, and we're and we're not just talking about that because we're biased Syracuse fans. I think people would take a look at the Duke team and say, yeah, they haven't looked that impressive over the past uh, over their four games. While Syracuse, even in their losses to Pitt and to UNC, first of all, they're both they were both ranked teams at the time, and two. 
they showed that they had promises um, of potential in both of those games where I don't think Duke has shown that that much this year. Yeah. I also, just as like a, an aside, I think uh, betting against your team, um, I endorse it. Uh, I know it doesn't sound right, <laughs> but like, I think emotionally hedging your games where you're like, I, and I, I root for Syracuse every time I do it. Like it's this, no doubt I'm happy to lose the money. But when I bet it in Syracuse, I'm rooting for them. And then it's just like, well, I just I feel bad about this game, but at least I have a couple more dollars in my pocket. So yeah. I, I am not above picking against Syracuse or actually putting my money against Syracuse. Um, but this week would not be the case. I think uh, I think the play is, is SU uh, on that money line number. So um, yeah, it's it's uh, definitely don't get that one. Hopefully, uh, you know, hopefully we we give the sports books reasons to uh, more properly evaluate the orange going forward um because after this uh you know i think there are still a lot of winnable games uh, on the schedule but um i think duke is probably the most winnable even more so than liberty i think um i don't know the liberty game still scares me a little bit more and that's the one right after and then you have uh the road trip at clemson on the 24th so um to uh an opportunity to get up to, to over 500 here get to three and two um before the tigers and then you kind of really know where you're at like if you hang with clemson and i think clemson I don't think we're going to be Clemson by any means. I think they've looked like not as sharp as they have like at the back end of last year. Um, that doesn't mean they won't, but um, definitely interesting. And then, you know, we talked last week, like outside of the Notre Dame game, like you can, it's anyone's guess what will happen with those last, those last four, the last five, but it all starts this weekend. If they lose to Duke, then, then you, then we're back in the, uh, the malaise of the first couple weeks. Yeah. This will be another great opportunity to, identify the strengths and weaknesses of this team. Um, you would assume that, again, given the numbers that we've ran through, that Syracuse should be able to run the ball well against this team, and DeVito should have a pretty good passing day against this team as well. And on the plus, on the opposite side of the ball, uh, you would think that the Syracuse uh, secondary, even though they are depleted, should have a pretty good day. So if we see those similar type of I think if Syracuse sees a similar type of performance that they pulled off against Georgia Tech, Syracuse should feel pretty good about the rest of the season because the level of opponent is definitely a little bit stronger than Duke, but nowhere near a huge gap between Duke and the rest of the ACC opponents on the Syracuse schedule where you could say that it's going to be a little bit tougher Syracuse, even though they've beaten probably the two two of the worst teams in the in the conference. Yeah, I think that's all very fair. Um, yeah, so to wrap it up, uh, what do you have anything else for us uh, this week? Anything else you're looking at in the greater Syracuse world? Um, no, not really. I think it's going to be uh, just another return back to football in the dome. Uh, we'll get to see it the dome again and see the. Lovely uh, new lighting and scoreboard, which is going to be always great and great to look at. Um, because I, th- I, like we mentioned last week, I think the improvements that they've made uh, aesthetically inside the dome have been really cool. But otherwise, it's back to normal Syracuse stuff for us here on Noon's Magician. Yeah, I'm interested to see if they roll out any like any more wrinkles in terms of the dome stuff. Although I kind of feel like they'll wait until people are actually at games, which uh, I guess there's like. The, the doors being left cracked open for that this year. I, I imagine today's news of the on-campus outbreak doesn't help. Um, nope. I'm totally fine with them just waiting till next year uh, or maybe waiting to like, you know, if we have something, if we have like a vaccine, maybe end of the basketball season, you could have something, but 
let's uh i look forward to seeing it when it's safe to safe to go and i don't have to worry about it um but yeah it'll be cool just to see it again just because it's it's so new and it's so weird to have that have been rolled out the way it is uh this year but at least you know it sounds like the players have at least appreciated it a little bit so yeah it'll be nice to, to get to see the the stadium <laughs> the, the quote unquote I think you'll find it's called the Wegmans Dome, sponsored by Tactical Sunglasses, sponsored by Alien Tape. <laughs> Alien Tape. Uh, what were some of the other good ones? Uh, that's the other thing. ACC Network commercials. We're back. It's always a joy. Um, well, uh, well, not quite, because it's still going to be um, ACC Regional Sports Network, so it's not going to be the full ACC Network experience. But it's going to be very really similar. Yeah. You really just had some really good content. The ACC Network commercial lineup is, is second to none. Um, everything's tactical um everything everything it's attack um, would be great i i think i think i'm i'm also very excited to see um political ads for north carolina senators um oh, i think that's that gonna was, be very good to see that was fun um although that that spilled over into like the actual college football slate this past weekend during like the alabama a&m halftime you had a, a doug jones ad uh for alabama senate <laughs> which was just like a total like they have money they need to spend so good for them um but yeah well, the, I, the, the, the odd thing the odd thing about the North Carolina ad, yes, it was ACC, and the ACC is based in Greensboro, based in North Carolina, but it was Syracuse, Georgia Tech. Like, yeah. who, from Syrac- who from North Carolina is watching Syracuse, Georgia Tech? There's, you know, maybe there's a couple Georgia Tech bankers down there in Charlotte, like, uh, trying to figure <laughs> out if they want to vote for Cal Cunningham or Tom Tillis. But um, I don't know that the Syracuse audience, I know there are Syracuse transplants in North Carolina in pretty large numbers, but I don't know if they have their bank for the buck there. But, uh, Again, it's it's uh, one of the fun things that comes with watching weird regional sports networks uh, poor programming. Um, and again, you know, we have the ACC network spillover. I don't know why we can't just be on that, but but at least like uh, at least people are learning where to find these games. Um, so yeah, I'm looking forward to the game. Uh, Twelve thirty Saturday. Hopefully, get to two and two. Um, yeah, I think that's that's it. Uh, thanks for for coming on again, Christian. Yeah, thank. Thanks for having me again, Dan. Um, for those uh, listening, again, um, we we've been doing this for every game as well. Um, if you tune in thirty minutes before the game on on the Nudes Magician Sportscaster uh, page, um, we're doing a pregame show um, as well, thirty minutes before every game. Um, so be sure to head on to the Nudes Magician Sportscaster page uh, to get even more preview of Syracuse versus Duke. Yes, do that. Uh, I know Stephen Andy hop on there. Uh after the game or the day after the game and they do a recap uh so we've been talking a little less recap stuff on this podcast but there is all manner of uh medium uh and and various mediums where you can find syracuse talk uh via this website now so it's a very multifaceted experience um but yeah thanks again for being on uh john will hopefully be back uh sometime soon i don't know if it's next week but we'll find out um and hopefully syracuse gets to two and two but uh, until then we'll talk to you guys next week and uh go orange